You are listening to Elga Asia's first ever mini podcast. Where every week, for a few weeks, we talk to some wonderful people around the world about anything and everything LGBTIQ+. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. My name is Zahra Musavi. And I am Bashara Samne. And this is the Rainbow Refugee Podcast. Bridges of Hope. Last week, we dived deeper into Shahriar's story and learned more about his life as a gay man facing prosecution in Afghanistan. We were initially planning on releasing Shahriar's final story this week, but um, we felt that it might be helpful for our listeners to hear some reflections from the Elga Asia team before we do that. Um, and that is why today I have Ryan with me. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Bridges of Hope. This is the first time you're here. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, Zara. Thanks for having me. I'm the communications officer of Ilga Asia. I am excited to be here to talk about this important story and what it means for all of us listening. Amazing. So, Zara, Shahira's story has so much to it. And I know originally it was spoken in Dari and I was reading the transcripts, but I would love to hear more from you. Could you let me know more from your side? I guess Shahriar's story is a very unique story in a sense that it does represent the experience of majority of the LGBTQ Afghans that we're in contact with, but also it is is different, you know, in a sense that um, Shahriar made it out, right? And many of LGBTQ individuals are still in Afghanistan or in dangerous situations. And I think his story also tells us that if you are out of immediate danger or prosecution, that does not necessarily always mean happily ever after. So yeah, um, I, I think this story um, needs its own analysis or a discussion about it. And I'm very happy that we're doing this. Thanks, Zora. So I see what the you know Afghanistan program team does as as your colleagues, and I think it's very amazing. Both of you, you and Bashara, are so deep into the work. You know, I assist you as part of the communications uh, team. I know bits and pieces, but delving into Shahira's story, it was it was so dense and so many things mm-hmm. that I did not know previously. And naturally, I. I think I have questions along that are probably shared with a lot of the general public. So when I was listening to episode two, one thing that stood out to me was Shahriar's situation when he was uh, applying for asylum and did not mm-hmm. exactly hear back. And the whole process seemed so arduous. Not only did he have help from a friend, it seemed that he also uh, spoke to the media and it seems that he sent several applications to France, Canada, the UK, Germany. And then finally at the end, uh, receiving favorable response from Germany about them uh, accepting his asylum application. But then mm-hmm. the problem was that he had no financial support. And then there was also a problem with leaving. And then on top of all that, Ilga Asia steps in to provide uh, support. So I guess I kind of have two questions. It seems that applying for asylum is not an easy task. And for someone like Shahira, he kind of seems like 
the exception and not the rule in receiving support. And my, my other question is just how, uh, for the record, for just how Yoga Asia steps in. Yeah. Um, so these are, I think, uh, very important questions because, yeah, as, as you said, applying for asylum is very difficult. And as as we heard in, in from his own uh, mouth that he had applied for several asylum applications to several different countries um, and finally getting a response from Germany. But that's how it is, right? Especially after August 2021, uh, we have had statements from people that we're in contact with. This is basically what has happened. Uh, individuals who are at risk have applied to several Western countries for a hope to be granted humanitarian visa. Um, whether that has been successful or not, that's another question. But based on our experience that we see that a very, very tiny portion of people who actually apply to these governments receive a positive response or any response at all. Many of them just are not given any decisions whatsoever. Elga Asia stepped in only after we were informed that, yes, Shahriyar has a positive uh, decision, has a humanitarian visa from, uh, you know, a, a Western uh, country. Unfortunately, got in touch with him um, a bit later uh, on, on his journey because he already was in Iran um, without any you know legal documents uh, or visa. And his situation was extremely dangerous because, as he said himself, you know, on the, at the border when he was trying to cross, he, a car hit him. He had a back injury um, and he was in bed for a week. But back then, even we were extremely limited in terms of how much financially we could help uh, Shahriar. That was not enough because obviously as a person on the run, you need to have money, right? So as you can see, it's very complicated. But anyhow, Shahriar, by some magic, he made it back to Pakistan uh, and where he was waiting for his uh, humanitarian visa to be processed and, you know, to, to be um, eventually flown uh, to Germany, where he is currently staying. Is this the rule or is this the exception? I would say this is the exception because a lot of people we are in contact with, um, like I said before, they are either on standby, they don't hear anything from these governments that they already have applied to, or very few of them receive positive responses. In fact, we have not, we do not know of a case that has been given a humanitarian visa for month now. So Shahir seems, like you said, seems to be the exception and not the rule. But what do you think made, you know, Shahira stand out from other asylum seekers? What was the difference that, you know, led to Shahira's applications being, you know, successful and then him managing to go to Germany at the end? Why are others not so lucky? Yeah, what else is going on here? A few uh, like factors affect how many individuals or how many LGBTQ people are granted the humanitarian visas. The international community doesn't really have that emergency state about Afghanistan anymore. They don't think it's emergency state. So that's one factor. The second one is the fact that many of these um, Western governments, including Germany, um, they've had a change of governments since. Um, and a change of government, for instance, certain things will be on halt, including resettlement programs, right? Uh, so all this is basically affecting 
how many LGBTQ Afghans can apply or they will be granted humanitarian visas. Um, and the third one is obviously the Ukrainian crisis that is going on right now. Does that make any sense or? No, yeah, it just sounds that like there's so much going on <laughs> in the world. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's like the issue with LGBTIQ people in Afghanistan needing help. Whether or not they get help is so dependent on these you know, global factors, these regional factors. And I guess my question is, what needs to change? How do you think we can move from where we are right now, where we are not looking at Afghanistan anymore as much? How do we bring attention to stories like Shahira's and everyone else who are still needing help, but are just, you know, not getting it? Whew, that's a very big question, Ryan. I <laughs> I really don't know. I wish I had the answer to that. But like this is what I what I think, right? Like international community or humanitarian organizations that have the capacity and financial capacity and human resource capacity to basically help vulnerable groups in Afghanistan, like LGBTQ individuals, they must do it, right? But because of these economic sanctions, um, people are suffering, right? A lot of humanitarian aid is cut and is not going to Afghanistan because of the fact that international community cannot find a way to get this aid to people who need it the most. Um, LGBTQ community is at more risk because of the fact that they don't have any support. They are not supported by their family members. They're not supported by the society. They're obviously prosecuted by the ruling government. And the international community has turned back on them. And they are completely alone, like Shahriar said as well, that they have no support system whatsoever. And the very few organizations, humanitarian organizations, that used to provide help um, specifically to uh, LGBTQ persons in Afghanistan, because of the risk that it um, exposes the organization to, they have stopped providing support to the community, right? Some of the LGBTQ community needs medication, right? They need hormones, but they're not getting it, right? So what happens to, to those individuals? They have no shelter, they have no money, they have no family, they have no friends. Right. Um, that was very interesting because now... In Shahira's story, we see that um, LGBTIQ people in Afghanistan are sort of resisting uh, forming mm. groups on Facebook and having uh, communications or trying mm. to protect their identity. But at the same time, we also see LGBTIQ people informing the Taliban of online activities. So these two things are happening at the same time. And I don't know, I just, I, I find it worth exploring. As far as I know, many users have closed their pages. They, they've deleted their pages because of the risk that it will exposes them to, right? But it is very interesting to know that this type of activism, this, this type of digital activism existed in Afghanistan. It was, it was starting to slowly grow. That even though offline you had all these pressures from the former government, from the community, from, from the society and your family, but you had this support online platform that you could go to, not only, for instance, raise awareness about um, the LGBTQ rights, but also try to find 
peers, people to talk to, people who could, who could understand you. From what I understood from Shahriyar's uh, story is that there was a difference between their online world and their offline world. And at least they found some sort of some sort of support, some sort of um, some sort of peace um, on the on these online platforms, right? But that's over, right? And that's that no longer exists. People who made it out, some of them um, may have started their digital activism again, uh, like Shahriyar has. But obviously, for the others, it will take a while, right? And we don't necessarily have to expect people to jump in and start again because it will take a while for them to adjust the changes, the extreme change that they just had gone through. I think as Ilga Asia and, you know, international community and different organizations, we should really uh, pay attention to how people on the ground are you know, organizing and resisting and, you know, provide support in any uh, way and shape, you know, we can. This is the Ilga Asia Rainbow Refugee Podcast, Bridges of Hope. We were talking about Shahir's astonishing experiences in Afghanistan and all his unique situations and issues. Now, we talk about Shahir's experiences after leaving Afghanistan. So Shahira finally manages to leave Afghanistan and arrives in Germany. People tend to think that the story of the refugee or the asylum seeker ends when they reach, you know, the destination country. But that's not often the case, right? We tend to like neat, neat endings, but neat endings often leave things untold. Could you tell me, how has Shahira been since he left Afghanistan. Yeah, only if, you know, real life was like a Disney movie where you had a happy, happily ever after. As a summary, I can tell that coming to safety or resettling in another country is not the end point in a LGBTQ person's journey. It's just not the end, unfortunately. Now that Shahriar is in Germany, it's relevantly safer than Afghanistan, of course. He now is, is facing newer challenges, different challenges that he didn't have before. As he said to himself, he's now, a, you know, as, as a person of color and a refugee and is seen and treated as one. When I was, uh, you know, listening to his story of, of like his days at the camp, at the refugee camp after he was moved here, he was seen as, as a different person and he was treated as one. And you would think, well, you know, now he's <laughs> he's in Germany, he's, he's going to be fine, you know. Well, <laughs> surprise. And I'm just wondering what happens in, in these camps. I'm going to talk about specifically Shahir's experience. So when he arrived to the camp, he was basically ignored. By that, I mean that there were no translators available and he does not speak German. There was no financial support available to them while they were in a camp. They were not given food on their first night. So Shahriar basically just slept on an empty stomach in Germany his first night. His friends who also, you know, was with him in a camp, his mental health was so bad that he tried to basically harm himself. He jump off uh, of a building, but because of the treatment that they were receiving at the camp, and I think the fact that what they thought of 
safety and happy life didn't exactly come true. You know, that that realization must be very heavy. You think you're finally safe, that you are out, this is over. You get off the plane and it's the same thing all over. People see you different. People treat you different. You are seen as a second class citizen just because you you have a different color. You look different and you have a different passport. Yeah, it's like leaving uh, one dire situation in exchange for another. Exactly. Which is, which is extremely disappointing and sad. I'm sure it's heartbreaking for many refugees who think that they can finally uh, lead a better life, but face a different set of issues. And I guess I wonder, how do we look at this issue? Because some might say that once a, a refugee has reached the destination country, um, you know, it should be fine. You know, oh, they should be grateful. Um, they're, they're no longer in mm. harm. I mean, yeah, you're not, uh, you're no longer a direct, you know, risk of uh, getting murdered uh, or, or you're not hunted at least, but you still deserve, you know, basic human rights. And I guess there is like many levels to this. There is a nuance. And we want to keep that nuance, right? When we think about it. H- how do you see this? This is what I think. A person doesn't leave everything behind unless they have to. And once they do, all they want is is to keep their dignity as a human being. They, they want to be treated as a human being uh, because they deserve it. Just because they're human beings, right? For most of our queer refugees, this is their wish. That for, for people to understand that they left because they had to. And now that they're here, they deserve to be treated exactly as everybody else. But that's, I think that's a very ideal world and we unfortunately don't live in that and reality is different, right? And people go through that every day. Refugees experience discrimination and, and challenges every single day. But also because earlier we talked about intersectionality, being a refugee, being queer and being colored is different layers of intersectionality. And each of these identities bring with them different kind of discrimination. And most of the people that we're in contact with, unfortunately, they, they are exposed to this type of challenges. They're exposed to, to these risks. I don't want to say that this is very gloomy and dire and there's no hope. Of course, there are individuals who are helping. We've known incredible people who've been amazing. Talking about Shahriyar's case, Germany has a strong queer community, right? They have fought well and they have sacrificed much to get where they are today. Yeah, thanks, Zora. I did not expect this. I am not completely clueless about the issue, but I'm someone who does not have all the information available to me. But it's interesting how just through Shahira's story, we are able to see that the situation affecting LGBTIQ people in Afghanistan is so complex and it spans, you know, the globe and it spans history. And what I get is there are no easy answers, but there are things that people can do. We need to talk about these issues more. We need to ensure that you know, institutions around the world have the focus on Afghanistan. And you know, it's understandable that so many things are going on, but we can't just push one issue aside for another. Thanks very much for that, Ryan. The Rainbow Refugee Podcast, Bridges of Hope, is available on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. More info available on ilgaasia.org. 
Next week, we'll finally get to hear from Shahriar himself on his days in Pakistan and his life as a queer refugee in Germany. This has been the Insight episode. We'll see you next time.